Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Titans and Colts, Vols and Gators. It's the Tennessee Power Hour on Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network and live from the 6th and Peabody Studios in downtown Nashville, Tennessee with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kaharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. We'll get into the Titans injury report coming up, which uh, includes good news with Roger Saffold back on the practice field. A couple of others, too. We'll detail that momentarily. But uh, first, Paul, we've been mentioning that we were going to figure out why Derrick Henry was not on the field for that fourth down call in Seattle. Well, let's jump right to it. I had the opportunity today, Thursdays, we talked to the coordinators, Craig Ackerman included, uh, Shane Bowen and Todd Downing. And so I asked Todd Downing, why Derrick Henry was not on the field on that fourth and three. And look, nobody's uh, more on the side of Derrick Henry not being uh, a, a great pass catcher and a, and, a, and a great pass protector than I am. But in that situation, fourth and three, to me, is short enough that you want him to be a threat where they think you might run. Here's, and he was run and he was blocking well that. in that game. He's your best player. It's fourth That's a down. a crucial play. You need him on the field. It's fourth down and you're going for it. I don't care about the yardage. If you're on the field fourth down offensively, Derrick Henry needs to be on the field. Here's what Todd Downing had to say when I asked him why Derrick Henry was not on the field. Yeah, you know, uh, that, that scenario went from a third and extra long now to a, a fourth and, and potential go for it. And so we went with what we thought was a, you know, a good uh, call for us and a good personnel grouping for us in that uh, third and fourth and medium situation. Uh, didn't think it was close enough where we were going to be running the ball there. And so getting a, a protecting back in there, or a free release back in there, we thought was best. A protecting back and a free release back. So, I mean, if you want it crystallized for you that the Titans don't think that Derrick Henry is a protection back and a free release back, uh, you can tape that and replay it for yourself. The offensive coordinator said they wanted a protection back and a free release back. And the back they put on the field, if I'm not mistaken, was Jeremy McNichol. Well, there is no... Chad, I don't know why you go for fourth down in any scenario and and you want Derrick Henry on the sideline. It's that simple. I mean, he said we went from a third and long to a fourth and medium, fourth and short, so then decided to go without Derrick. That makes no sense. Uh, even uh, honestly, they weren't going to run it, is what he said. So they were going to throw it, and in a throwing scenario, in that down and distance, they want a protection back and a free release back, and they don't think that Derrick Henry, but they've pigeonholed him in a way where he's not that guy, even in a fourth and three. I could see him not being that guy in the regular flow of offense sometimes, but in a crucial fourth and three, he's got to be on the field. Well, here's here's how you judge whether or not you should go for it. Can Derrick Henry be involved in the play? No. Okay. Well, let's punt. Well, even if he's not involved in the play, <laughs> he's got to be a threat to the defense. Well, that's the my point. The defense is not looking he at Jeremy McNichols thinking, I've got to account for Jeremy no, McNichols here. But they are thinking, I've got to account for Derrick Henry here. Therefore, he needs to be on the field. If, well, if I mean, Anthony Ferkser is on versus Jeff Swain, what are you thinking? Pass. If Jeremy McNichols is on versus Henry, what are you thinking? 
pass. Yes. <laughs> That's what I don't like about it. I'm not saying the football has to go to Henry. But you need Henry on the field who is owning Seattle. Also, he All caught six passes second that half. day. It's his best pass-catching day ever. So he is on this day, and, and it was one of his best pass-protecting days. So on this day of all days, he could have been part of either a pass or a run. He's a threat, period. Well, I mean, I, again, I, he's your best player. And on key fourth down plays, your best player should be in the game. I, I think that's just very baseline, you know. Anyway, yeah. I, Johnny Majors was this way. You know, we've talked to people that played for Johnny Majors. He was much bigger on, I don't care about the play call. We need our best player getting the ball. In these situations, right? We need them on the field. We need those guys getting the ball. I feel the same way about Derrick Henry, but even if the play is not to hand it off to Derrick Henry on fourth and three, even a play action to Derrick Henry, how many catches did he have in the game? Six. Six catches. I mean, the relief the defense feels when he's not running the ball towards them and maybe the chance that they fall asleep for a split second and he turns around four yards down the field and catches the ball the way he did over and over again when he wasn't running the ball. It, it was not the offense's best moment on a day where the offense did very well in the second half with yeah, Derrick Henry I, as a linchpin. It's not a it's not a didn't know, kill them. crazy issue here, but it's telling, somewhat telling. I don't know why again, like we're we're in we're in a he's had back-to-back seasons where he's been the most dominant running back in the league. I, I don't understand why he can't be on the field more on third down and fourth down. In this offense. Yeah, I, 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 that's a really good point you raised. Fourth down, I, I can understand some third downs, but fourth down, you want uh, unload your best personnel. How much, um, and I realize the win always overshadows any issue. You want to correct issues after a win, not a loss. That's a good thing in this league. Always. Um, how much do you view what happened in the first half as a carryover to week one and do you think they righted all those wrongs in the second half to where that win in overtime on the foot of Randy Bullock sends them back into I, I called I called last week's game last Friday a smelling salts game. Do you think that they treat that as as exactly that to where they come to their senses and they're they're good to go mentally moving forward with the right approach? You know, uh, it, I think it Vrabel, Vrabel made the point after the loss to Arizona that he wanted them to start playing well instead of talking about playing well. I think it does a lot for them. But look, Seattle helped them out a lot. I, I, I put this up yesterday from a stat service that I subscribe to. Um, you know, The Colts have zero defensive penalties. So the Colts aren't going to help them out. And what's the response I got from the tw- Twitter? Well, you're not pointing out that the referees took away, uh, you know, seven points. Well, that wasn't my point. Seattle committed 10 penalties for 100 yards. They were shooting themselves in the foot, so to speak, against the Titans. The Colts so far defensively have not done that. Seattle gave the Titans six first downs. That's a pretty nice gift to get, six free first downs. Colts are not giving away first down so far this season. Now, the Colts are not as talented, I don't think, but they're playing clean so far. Um, So, look, I I wrote a column today. You know, the Titans talk a lot, and there's a quote in there from A.J. Brown again about their ability to get punched in the mouth and respond. And I think we all agree. Under Mike Vrabel, the Titans, when they face adversity, do a really good job at bouncing back from adversity. I was talking with Chad about this column, Hutt, when I was – 
putting the finishing touches on it when you were out of the room. But when do they ever talk about punching people in the mouth and having them respond? (laughs) They're always talking about how good they are at responding to it. And of course they're going to face adversity. They're not going to be a 17-0 team that coasts through the season. There are very few of those, right? But the Titans are always talking about how good they are at responding to adversity. And undoubtedly they're going to face some. And they're very good at responding to it. it, Are they as good at putting other people in the adversity, though, and making them be the ones that have to respond? They don't seem to throw the first punch as often as you would like. And that, to me, seems to to be what they need to graduate to doing. It's a league set up for inconsistency from week to week at times with teams that aren't really good. I would just like to see a little bit more consistency with the Titans as a favorite. I want them to play like the big dog. They like to be under. We had this discussion with the Tennessee Vols in 2015 with Butch Jones. I remember going into the Oklahoma game and talking with you guys about this. I want them to play like the big dog at times. I wanted them to look more like a team that didn't need need a chip on their shoulder. They went out there and knew they were better and they'd go and play like it. I want to see more of that with a Titans team that you're going to see opportunities now where they're going to take the field and just simply be better than their opponent and I'm here to tell you, they're better than the Indianapolis Colts, especially, especially with, Wentz. With, with Eason or Hundley well, let's get into being that. the so quarterback. The injury report uh, today, we could get into both teams, Paul. Let's start with the Colts, though, because that leads us into the quarterback discussion. Wentz did not practice with both ankles injured. So that's two straight days where he has not practiced for the Colts. They are getting Jacob Eason ready, but there's also reports that they're getting their practice squad quarterback ready. Yeah, I don't know what the practice – I haven't seen yet what today was, but yesterday, Hundley got the bulk of the first-team reps instead of Eason. Eason's not on the injury report. So they're up to something. They might two-quarterback it. They might get down uh, on Eason. I don't really understand it. I'm not scared of Hundley at all. Maybe there's a simple rule for this. What would happen if John Robinson signed Brett Hundley to the active roster today? Brilliant. I mean, what could <laughs> the Colts would, stop it? No. They would, they I, I, would well, have to, he, he could be on the protected. I, I don't know. I'll have to go they check They would have the, to the keep wild. Hundley on their active roster for three weeks before cutting him. But getting this information him, out he took that. that he's taking first-team reps in what would be a closed practice, uh, which means it's an open portion of practice that the reporters are allowed to uh, either report or someone within the organization is telling a national reporter that Hundley's getting the reps. If Robinson or any opponent sign the practice squad player that they're working to play, getting first-team reps, is there any rule against that on a Thursday? I don't think – unless he's protected. You can protect up to four guys on your thing. I'll have to check the wire to see if he was protected. Uh, I, would assume, week. He's and protected. I would assume he's protected because, yeah, they're, yeah, you're right. because they're, they're down at quarterback. I, I think if it's not, very odd. If that not, there's an opening. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Change the line. Look, in addition to <laughs> T.Y. Hilton being Double on the line. injured reserve, Paris Campbell, who's their other fast receiver, who's not particularly good, has an abdomen issue, and he's been limited two days in a row. So they've got two quarterbacks ill-equipped to, to handle this mm-hmm. with, who are both deep ball throwers you know, at their best who don't have deep ball receivers. So it's just a discombobulated kind of offense. They are also down one of their tackles. Braden Smith is injured. Did not practice two days in a row. He's got a foot and a thumb. And that turns us to the Titans. They are banged up on the offensive line, but some good news for the Titans on the offensive line. Four guys were upgraded here. 
Jalen uh, uh, Jayon Brown went from uh, with a hamstring, moved up to limited participation. Bud Dupree moved up to limited partip- participation. Roger Saffold moved up to limited participation. Uh, Ty Sambrello moved down to limited participation with a foot. He was full yesterday. You don't like that with the injuries that they've got going on. Um, today, Derek Roberson did not participate after uh, limited participation yesterday with a knee. And Lawan was Lawan was full participant second day in a row. Should not be uh, a question. Expected to speak tomorrow during our show or right before our show. Lawan the full participant. So Chris looks, Jackson sick it, today. He 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 did not practice. It appears as though they're going to be healthy on their offensive line. Well, I I, I don't think Jones and Saffold will be healthy. I think they'll they'll be able to play. Ben Jones is definitely slugging it out in, in there, and Saffold, I think, is, you know, can he finish kind of. Yeah, kind of it's question. not a question of if he's playing, it's can he finish. Yeah. You're, you're right on that. Um, uh, injuries uh, concerning across the league, the Titans cannot afford to, uh, to have those issues up front of the offensive line again, especially this soon out of the gate with some of the depth concerns that they have on the interior. They have plenty of tackles, Paul. Um, but not not, uh, not a lot of tep- uh, depth on the interior uh, of their offensive line. Well, after Aaron Brewer, who is the guy who would play for Saffold, next in line is the one and only Dylan Radens, who's the second-round draft pick who clearly hasn't been ready, didn't dress for the opener, uh, dressed in Seattle and played on some special teams. But if he's called into action, all eyes will be on him. And uh, if DeForest Buckner is lining up over Dylan Radens, uh, Ryan Tannehill's got to be throwing the ball in, you know, one point under under one point five seconds. I would think that is a mismatch extraordinaire. Bum Phillips is going into the Ring of Honor for the Tennessee Titans, um, and it's a Love You Blue week. They have former Oilers that are in town uh, that will be made available to the media, I believe, tomorrow, including some Pro Football Hall of Famers. They'll be in town for the game on Sunday as uh, Bum Phillips, their coach goes into the Ring of Honor. Uh, the Love You Blue week has a lot of fans in Houston really upset. We'll discuss that. Plus, when we come back, Vols and Gators. And, Chad, we, we must discuss where Tennessee has really fallen off the cliff in this matchup. You alluded to this earlier this week, but we'll put some, no- some names and numbers next to the position when we return as the Titans face, or excuse me, as the Vols face the Gators and the Titans face the Colts, we're previewing both this hour on Outkick 360. Hang with us. You can join the chat on YouTube. Just search out Outkick 360, and we hope you'll subscribe to the YouTube channel. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network, Tennessee Power Hour, each and every day in the final hour, except for tomorrow. Except for tomorrow. Yes, because Austin Price and Brent Hubbs are flying to Gainesville and uh, they they needed to flip-flop the hour. So we will preview Vols and Gators. It's one of the bigger games of the weekend, actually. Um, If you start looking through top 25 matchups, we'll preview that in the first hour of the show tomorrow. Give you a quick preview, Hutton, of my top five tomorrow. Tennessee and Florida, 19-point spread is the fourth biggest game of the week on my list. So, not a great week uh, in college football, top to bottom. So, we'll do Vols Gators with VolQuest, and then later at the normal time, 
we'll have the Tennessee Power Hour, normal time being 4 o'clock Central, 5 o'clock Eastern. You mentioned the YouTube chat, so I wanted to bring this up. Russell on YouTube said, am I crazy to say the next three games are must-win for the Titans? I responded and said, it's crazy to say any week three game is a must-win, especially coming off that. It's very important for the Titans to take care of business against the Colts. But then someone else followed up and said, it's kind of a must-win for the Colts more than the Titans at this point. That's true. There's no such thing as a week three must-win. just isn't. This is one of those games, though, if you are who you think you are, you go out and win. You win. You win, and then you take advantage of the two road games coming up with Jacksonville and the Jets. I mean, two terrible organizations. Win this week to set yourself up for a hot start out of yes. the gate, which they need. They, they do need to get out to a strong start. It gets a lot start. harder later. So, hot. Houston Oilers are coming to town yep. this weekend. But first, before we get into the meat of this, let me just say, and, and this is the same exact thing when there's a Titans alumni list, it just drives me crazy. And this may be completely unfair to me. A lot of these names I don't know. But I know Elvin Bethay, Robert Brazil, Ray Childress, Curly Culp. It drives me crazy that on the list with them is Tamor Barnes. Tamor Barnes, who once made such a boneheaded play in a Titans game. I think it was in overtime. He lost the game. And Jeff Fisher said after the game or the Monday after that they sent Tamor Barnes for an MRI to check if he had a brain. <laughs> and so uh, that, they, Good line. that they bring him in with these list of greats, a couple of Hall of Famers and stuff. It's just like we open the door to everyone who ever wore the logo. I, I guess that's the right thing to do. But like when we read the Titans, their alumni when game. We read the Titans list some weeks and we don't know <laughs> – half of the guys on the list because they were like practice squad yeah. guys who didn't even dress for a game. It just seems like they should cull the list a little bit. Um, look, people in Houston are pissed. And I, I understand it. I mean, this is these are guys who are legends for what they did in Houston. But there's no solution from the Houston perspective on the Titans having a Houston Texan alumni weekend. This is how sports work in America. Teams relocate. Houston Oilers Alumni Weekend. Yeah, and the team owns the history of the team. And so this is weird that Nashville, the the Houston Oilers turned Tennessee Titans are honoring all these former uh, uh, Oilers. Because of of their coach. When they're honoring their coach, Bum Phillips, and putting him in the ring of honor. It's weird. But you know what would be weirder? The Houston Texans honoring these people and putting Bum Phillips in their ring of honor because he had nothing to do with that franchise, which did not exist when he coached. And so you have to accept the weirdness. It just is how it is. I don't know what people in Houston want. Do they want the Texans honoring them? Well, Because that's a bigger detachment. Pardon my historical ignorance here, but how did the Cleveland Browns get to keep their That's the one exception because it was such a big controversy. It happened. They made them give up the history in order to allow them to move. But that was not a condition placed on any other team in history that has moved. And you can't make an owner give up the history of his franchise, which is leaving. He owns it. Would it be would they they would hate it either way. I, I, but would would Texans fans would Oilers fans in Houston appreciate it more if it were Titans Texans in Nashville where they're doing this reunion or 
does it not matter? Would it be rubbing it in the face even more if they hosted this reunion that weekend when a, the Houston Texans played? That here? would be a great poll. Let's put that poll out during our our, because you, our next break. I initially thought, oh, Bum Phyllis is going to the Ring of Honor. They'll that's the, that's Texans the Texans week. Um, and it's not. It's the Colts week. It should be the Texans Really? Week. I mean, but if they were is, thinking like Lane Kiffin would be thinking to troll someone, it would be Texans. If you yeah. think about it, you should do it the Titans at the Texans week. <laughs> Well, Bud no, Adams. not our building. Bud Adams we'll would absolutely have uh, done it oh, uh, yeah. during he, Texas. He week. hated them. Um, and look, and look, they had an ugly, ugly ending. I covered it. You know, I was sitting in the lobby of a of a, a Houston court where they were negotiating their way out of the last year of the Oiler Dome lease after he and the mayor had basically, you know, given each other the public middle finger, and it had. <laughs> yeah. It had gotten that bad before. Then a couple of years, years later, Robert McNair gets the sweetheart it's, deal that if they had just given Bud, that Nashville would have eventually gotten a, an expansion franchise. There's nothing that can be done because you're right. The owner gets to keep it, yada, yada, yada. It, it's still dumb. It doesn't make any sense. I, I would be all for, and again, I know we can't force owners to do anything they don't want to do, but I'd be all for a rule that if you buy an NFL franchise and you later decide to move that NFL Leave franchise, the that city, that history stays there and you start over new. If you're so hell-bent on getting out of a city, then you can be hell-bent on leaving the history behind too and allowing that city to have it. And whatever subsequent future NFL franchise comes to that city, they can attach the rights to the, the history of that. I am all for the city of Houston having a weekend at a Texans game to bring back Oilers greats. It doesn't make much sense for Nashville. I, I get, I, but I also I understand that there's no good saying. thing to do with it now. But also, you have to do it. Also, putting Bum Phillips in the Houston Texans ring of honor also doesn't make a lot of sense. Because it makes a, a ton franchise of sense. If, that has nothing to Like, they could have an Oilers wing there, but putting him on a wall underneath the Texans logo is just as disjointed. Well, it makes to me a ton of sense if you do what I just geography. said. If you do what I just said, which makes a ton of sense, you had a rule that if, when you buy an NFL team and you leave a city, the NFL team history stays with that city. It would make sense for everyone, and it wouldn't matter ultimately to the billionaire owner that moves their team to a better situation financially. And I'm, you know, I, I, I'm sure there's some old school. It mattered to Bud Adams. Yeah, there's someone you know that grew up in Amarillo, Texas, an Oilers fan, and then moved to Clarksville years ago, and they love the Houston Oilers, and now they love the Tennessee Titans. They love the affiliation. There are so few people who give a damn about the Houston Oilers that are Tennessee Titans fans. But there is a statue. All they care about is wearing the throwback with the oil derrick because it looks cool. There they don't care statue, about the history of that franchise. Not of Johnny Unitas in front of Baltimore Ravens Stadium. Nobody yes. is stopping the Houston Texans from putting a statue of Earl Campbell in front of the Houston Texans Stadium. That's on the Houston Texans. And they're not doing it. Why? Because the Titans are their rival, and the mm -hmm. Titans claim history of Earl Campbell. If they want to be bigger than the Titans, they could honor Earl Campbell all that they want with a statue and a banner and whatever. They're not doing it because the Titans claim him, and, and rightfully so. It's their team history. But the Colts and the Ravens don't seem to have that. Uh, it's, look, you're right, but it's also dumb. I can understand fans pointing out how silly it is that this is the way it goes down because there's a better, more logical solution to it 
that would make sense for both cities and all fan bases. And it would be for the Oilers to be honored at Houston Texans games where there are people who remember the Oilers in the city of Houston that would like to honor that. And I just don't get the sense that when you're going to honor Eddie George and Steve McNair and Jeff Fisher and Titans greats, the city of Nashville gets behind that. Oh, yeah. They get excited about that. They don't care about well, any think, of their ties to the city of Houston. I or think the it'll be very respectful, but it won't be nearly what it would be for the Titans. And I will say, I saw a quote probably a golf from, from Jim Wyatt. Um, one of these guys saying, you know, it's the right thing for Amy to do because these guys are in limbo. You know, they're honorable NFL alumni stuck between two, two teams with no home. So the Texans right. don't feel comfortable doing something for them because they're not Texans. So the Titans should honor them in yeah. any way that they can. Look, I'm not mad at the Titans for doing it. That's what they should do. There's just a better way to, for everything to be done with this. And it would be Houston. But it would have had to rights. have been done in 1996. Well, they're, right. They're, they're now going, there's nothing you can do about it. They're going to lean into it more, though, because the throwbacks are happening. That's, that's, that is coming. The, the, the organization, have been, they've been tweeting out breadcrumbs all week about next season and beyond. Those with the oil blues, derricks sweet, and the light blues. blues. Yes, that, that is coming. And, and it's a beautiful The uniform. question I would have is, for, for, for Oilers fans yes. in Houston, yes. do you prefer it on Colts weekend where you don't have to see it and it's not rubbed in your face? Or if you ask for it, they'll do it whenever your team comes to wear town. Wear it in Texas. Or they'll fly with it and wear it on the road. They'll wear the throwbacks on the road. I, I don't know if that's allowed. Maybe it's a home game only. But they'll, well, they'll do, do that and they'll have the, the alumni weekend against the Texans. I mean, it's... I mean, what would you want, Chad? Would you want that they, worn against you? They will you? take it as a massive troll job on the city if they did it. I mean, you don't want it worn against you. Uh, you but if I'm the Titans, I troll the city of Houston and wear it against – I wear it twice. Division rivalry? If you Hell can. yeah, wear it against Wear it against the Titans, especially when they're – kick them while they're down. Amy, do it for your dad. <laughs> I mean, well, <laughs> while, they, while they suck, let's, let's rub some uh, salt on the wound. If well, you're even the Titans, when they're Amy, there's nothing they can do about it. Amy right. Adams Strunk is much nicer than her dad, but her dad would have absolutely but, worn him against the Texans, so she should do it for him. But Hutton, you, were, and you and Paul were talking about the level of excitement for Titans fans when you even get, catch a glimpse of that jersey. There right. is a level of excitement. It has nothing to do with the Houston Oilers. No, it's a beautiful uniform. The uniform looks great. It's a classic. It's a great uniform. troll job. Titans fans would get behind that. If you wore them against Houston, they'd be all for that. But there's no sentimental connection for Titans fans with the Houston Oilers. It's just, it's a cool jersey By to look way, at and to wear. Go all That's the way. That's what they like. Don't, don't do Tennessee Titans. Don't, uh, don't do Tennessee Oilers. Don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare do oh. ten, uh, uh, Houston Oilers. Can I tie in the Tennessee Oilers briefly? Sure, it's fun, um, fun memories. So it, I, I took this back to 1997 um, with some of the numbers and here. we usually go to 99, so this is yeah. an interesting framing. Uh, 1997 NFL versus the 2021 NFL. Um, and, and, this, and we'll get into balls in just a moment. But there were 10 instances, and I, I chose 97 because that's when the team moved here. There were 10 instances of games through two weeks in 1997 um, let me make sure I get this right. Yeah, 10 uh, in 1997 of games that had 30 or more points scored by one team. Going to be way two weeks. bigger now. 22 games through two weeks in 2021 have had 30 or more points scored by one team. Want. There were nine games in 1997 through two weeks of 400 or more yards of offense. 22 
games have featured 400 plus yards of total offense in 2021. Uh, And I'll wrap this up by saying 32 instances of 100 yards rushing, 34 in 2021. I'm intrigued by the consistency there. Also, the average plays per game, 126 in 1997. How many would you guess are played or ran now in 2021? Say say the premise one more time. It's a trick question. How, How many plays per game? The average play per game through two weeks in 97 was 126 plays per game. I don't think Combined. I don't think it's that much more. It's exactly 126. Really? Yes. That's pretty well, amazing. Well, I'll tie a bow on the segment. You know who protests all of this offense? Elvin Bethay, Robert Brazil, Ray Childress, and Curly Cole. <laughs> let, let me respond to something on the show uh, from something being said in the, the chat right now. This is from Joshua Robbins, uh, who says, if you buy a new house and move, do you leave the pictures and the memories behind for the new residents? Or do you take them with you? Talking about the Oilers moving to Nashville. This is a bad analogy. Here's why. If the house that I own helped me build a billion-dollar empire, and it was all done because of the support of my neighbors and everyone around it, and I then decided to move to a different, bigger, more beautiful, better house in a better city that was then going to make me more money, you're damn right I leave the pictures the couch, my mattress, and everything else in that house for all the people who helped me build my billion-dollar empire to do whatever the hell they wanted to and with there it. There wasn't even anybody to leave it for. I mean, that's in 97. What if the, what if the president the of your Texans homeowners association start, told you to GTFO, which Texans, is what happened? Yeah, and the Texans didn't start till 2002. There wasn't You'd leave it all for your homeowners I would leave it all for the home. Again, this is, this is this his decision. This was mayor against owner, though. Well, and this is also... Look, he has the right, Bud Adams I'm talking about, in this moment, with the rules, to do whatever the hell he wants. And he decided he wanted to keep it. I'm saying the common sense approach is, for any new owner in the league, if someone comes in and buys the Denver Broncos, and later on they decide they want to move the Denver Broncos for whatever reason to a different city, the history of the Denver Broncos stays in Denver on the off chance that another NFL franchise goes to Denver. And then I, they have the rights to it. I, I would bet that there's a lawsuit that could keep the league from doing something like that. I, I, I'm just speculating, but I would think. Anyway, it's... Hey, there's some Titans No Titans this, fans care about the Oilers. There's some Titans on this list. Uh, Chris Sanders, uh, Al Smith, who worked for the Titans, um, Brad Hopkins, who straddled uh, Oiler, Oilers and Titans. So it'll be a fun weekend for them. Especially fun weekend for them. The other guys uh, are staying in a hotel, not in their house. Um, so let's let's transition, if we can, to Vols Gators. And one area that is just a glaring weakness for the Vols right now that they have, over the years, over the last 25 years of this rivalry, you could pinpoint the run game, Chad. The team that was going to run it the best was going to win the game. Um, that's how this... It was a measuring stick game in the run game, in the trenches for Florida and for Tennessee. That was always the Spurrier-Fulmer big battles in the East. It was always decided. That was always the fun stat. Remember, with all the passing from Steve Spurrier teams, it's who runs the ball better that wins this game. Well, at at one point, the team that ran the ball better won 17 of 18 matchups in this rivalry. Um, But as time has passed, the Tennessee program has gone from once you know they they were wide receiver you running back you where they were 
sending all kinds of players to the league and had some all-time great SEC backs. Have they the was Jalen Hurd the last all SEC running back that has played in the orange and white? Was he all SEC? Yes. Um, yeah, and before that, Montario Hardesty playing so for Lane Kiffin. Here's a list of just the over the last 25 or so years, and, and Jacob will zoom in on this, and we'll just kind of read through some of this as we start at the top. Just some of the greats that have played in this rivalry and the number, the yards rushing for the season by these guys. Jamal Lewis, Travis Henry. I mean, the, Tony Thompson's where we started. He had 1,261 yards. Charlie Garner. All these household names. And as you scroll down, you start to see the number really drop off. And some of these were two-headed monsters. Cedric Houston and Jabari Davis. Gerald Riggs and Houston uh, with big numbers. Foster and Riggs. And now it, you really see a dip in the run game. Hardesty was very good. 1,300-yard rusher. Um, Neil and Lane combined for 1,300 yards. You could run the football there. Jalen Hurd. You had Dobbs and Kamara. Uh, as well during that era. And now look, look at the Chandler, recent years. Chandler Gray. I mean, just uh, not even wow. scratching 800, 700 yards in a season. Uh, some of it's due to health. Some of it's due to just lack of consistency whatsoever in the run game. And an era where they actually had offensive coordinators who professed to wanting to run the football, surprisingly enough. Um, and they're going to Gainesville again without much of a run game. The last two truly memorable Vols running backs – one is remembered because he was underutilized in Alvin Kamara uh, for, under Butch Jones. The NFL the, the one before that is four coaches ago. Montario Hardesty is a guy I would say is the last great running back that's not Kamara and Jalen Hurd at times. But outside of that, it's Montario Hardesty who had a great season playing on Lane Kiffin's offense in, in 2009. Other than that, it's been kind of a rotating cast of just guys, not dudes. Right. Just, just some guys uh, that have played running. There's been some good players in there, but no one that really stands out. I don't think Tennessee has a running back right now that's going to make that list of greats that you just rolled through, Hutton. Um, but they, Jabari Small, who's questionable for this game, they need him badly because I don't think running back is the biggest weakness on this team, but it is not deep. From no, what it's I've just seen, a gla- it's a glaring hole. I, I think I if it's not Jabari Small or Tyon Evans running it, Tennessee doesn't have much behind that. From what I've seen from Jalen Wright, he is a scat back who is a true freshman who is not ready to, for the SEC right now. And it needs to be one of those two guys getting carries outside of the quarterback, which is going to be a huge part of their run game, just like it was with Josh Dobbs, a quarterback. With the fast-paced hypel offense, are we going to see an emphasis on the run game? Yes. With how quickly they want to go? Josh Heupel wants to run the ball a lot better with his running backs than he is right now. But I think the way this team is set up, they're going to have to rely a lot more heavily, especially let's say Hinton Hooker plays this whole game. He's going to have to have some huge runs. I mean, that, that's going to be the biggest part of the running game where they can hurt people right now from what I've seen is with the quarterback run. Joe Milton had a 54-yard run against Pitt. Mm-hmm. That was a design run play. as a quarterback draw. He took two steps back, shotgun, ran right to the left and had a huge hole. I've seen bigger holes opening up in the quarterback run game as opposed to just trying to hand it off in this offense so far. Now, Tennessee gets Cooper Mays back, which I think is very important because I know it was Bowling Green, but they were running a lot faster and opening up more holes with him in the game. And you really get worse at two positions when he got hurt. 
because Jerome Carvin is your best guard. He moves over to center where he's not as good. You're bringing in a worse player at guard. Yeah, you affected multiple So positions. now with Mays, who's clearly the best center, if he comes back healthy after the high ankle sprain against Bowling Green, I do think the offensive line is going to get better. Not sure that it shows up, though, against Florida's defense. It will show up with an improved offensive line. I'm not sure that it shows up, though, in the swamp this weekend. You, uh, you par- paraphrasing you on your Tennessee hopes before this whole thing started, you wanted them to at least maintain contact, put a threat into the, the best teams that Tennessee faces in the SEC, put a scare into them. You, you foreseeing that here? Like, what's your confidence let's, level that they hang? Let's discuss that coming back. Because my answer this season, as opposed to what I want to see next season and moving forward, is very different. And I want to explain why. That's straight ahead on Outkick 360. FanDuel.com slash OK360 is where you can go if you are new to sports betting. You can download the app. FanDuel.com slash OK360. You can bet $5 to win $150 on games like the Colts and the Titans this weekend. Indianapolis and Tennessee, one of the featured games for week three at FanDuel. New customers, you bet five, you win $150. It's the max bet. 30 to 1 odds on either team. Straight money line bet. Bet now. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Chad, I was asking you kind of your, your preseason Vols expectations. Part of it was that you wanted to see them kind of maintain contact with good teams on their schedule. Um, do you think that's, that's happening this weekend? So going into this year, really, Paul, I, I would want to see them do that at least once. And I think the problem now is that going into the season, you knew they were going to be heavy, heavy underdogs at Florida, against Georgia, and against Alabama, right? Those are going to be the three that they're going to be, you know, 20-plus 20, 20 point underdogs going into those games. I was wanting them to keep it, make it surprisingly close in one of those games. I think that would be a win, and then win some games that you're supposed to win also. Now I see Ole Miss, honestly, as a game that might be a 17-point Ole Miss spread by the time it comes around in Knoxville, the way Ole Miss is playing. So... You add a game to that list of team of Tennessee as a as a big time underdog in the game. I, I'm not expecting Josh Heupel to beat one of these teams this year. I'm not expecting him to play all of them close. Uh, I, I am expecting Tennessee to over deliver as a big underdog in at least one game because that's something that oftentimes the the last two coaches failed to do. In Jeremy Pruitt and and uh, Butch Jones, I, I I don't think that's too much to ask. I think Tennessee taking a game into the fourth quarter uh, with someone they're not supposed to one time this year is not too big of an ask uh, for, for Josh Heupel in year one. Now, moving forward, Paul, starting next year, and I love how Josh Heupel, I said it yesterday, I'll say it again, how Josh Heupel says, my job is to get good and get good fast. Not talking about timetable, not talking about two or three recruiting classes. We all know it might take some of that, but he's saying, I need to get these guys good and fast, and he wants to play fast. That being said, starting in year two, let's beat one of these guys if you're Josh Heupel in Tennessee. I mean, it's, it's beyond time to have a coach that overperforms what they have. Not just outperforms expectations, but sees a roster, finds something that works, knows how to make it work, and fit the system around what works. 
I'm going to keep hammering this point home. What's going to work with this team, and maybe the only thing that will work, is either Hendon Hooker or Joe Milton running the ball and running it well. They have to continue that. Ultimately, that's not what he wants to do. He wants to run the ball with running backs, and he wants to throw it around with his quarterback and then run occasionally. This year, from what I've seen with those quarterbacks and their passing ability, he's going to need to, yes, run the ball with the running back, but run more often than not with the quarterback and then mix in some throws because they don't have a highly accurate passer right think, now on the roster. I think if they find a way to take this game into the fourth quarter or another one of a similar caliber, your perspective will change from, from that Saturday to that Monday, and you say, well, we should have found a way to win it. I think, and, and understandably so. I think really the, the first test of Tennessee, of who, who is Tennessee? This weekend, you're going to find out a lot about this roster, no doubt. I'm not throwing away this weekend, but they're going to get beat by Florida, who's just a better team in a tough environment. That pit game was step number one. What are they? I think they, they played okay. They played hard. They were just There's so sloppy. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of fight. I come away from that game thinking, well, they may be a little better than I thought, but they're not going to beat anybody playing like that. Because of the penalties well, and, and minus three and turnovers and everything else. And yeah, that, having the ball the at the three with a chance to tie it under five minutes and not picking up a half a yard. But at the same time, you could beat down. a lot of teams if you hit some layup throws that Milton had. Well, I think the next big test is not this week, but next week at Missouri is a toss-up game. I don't see a lot of difference in Tennessee and Missouri right now. That is a big game for both for teams. For both teams, yeah. I mean, both teams trying to get to six wins, six or seven wins. That's an enormous game for both of them. And, and these are the little tests along the way that Josh Heupel's got to start. He's not in danger of anything no, this year, right, but right, you right. need to start showing the fan base, okay, you know, we'll, we'll get over 82,000 people back to games if we can see more of that. Go to Missouri and win by a couple scores. Boy, that's exciting. You know, come home and beat South Carolina badly and look good in the process. Well, that's good. You need, you need some positive things to happen along the way, but – Hey, I'm, I'm not sentimental about it anymore. It's up to the head coach to make that happen. I also, and I think Tennessee fans are the same way. They're not sentimental about Josh Heupel. It's, hey, we see your offense. We like some of the things you're doing. Let's go out and prove it. Let, let's show it against someone. You know how in a, in a uh, NASCAR race in a, a Talladega, Daytona, you can go pedal to the metal, right, pace-wise. Those guys still hit the brakes around the turns. They don't go straight into a wall. And I think to, to make this a four-quarter game, Heupel has to – pace is fine. He can run his offense. They will need possessions in that first half that remove a bit of that fast, up-tempo style and allow them to run clock. For the defense's Possess the sake. football. More than just the defense. Just uh, get time of possession in your in – your, especially if you turn the football over, Florida gets it on an easy field, goes and, and scores quickly – and then you just need yeah. to slow the pace down. You don't need a quick three and Control. out and punt it right back. And then, and then Florida has the route on at that point. Yeah. Pittsburgh was not able to do that. I think Florida is more equipped to do it. And more teams now moving forward against the, the, the Vols will be more equipped to do it. I think that's imperative for them to be competitive I, for I four think, quarters. I think it's important to mix and match with tempo. But I also think that in this game, it may be important to run super fast because it does not give that crowd a chance to run to, it to do anything. I'm all for it, but if you, you're running you have plays to fast have enough, something that slows it down at the critical. Once, let uh, me let me give you a prediction. You heard it here first. Kyir Elam or some defensive back for Florida will have a pick six where they jump around hmm. with Hendon Hooker throwing that quick snap, one read, 
quick screen out to a wide receiver because there were a couple times against Tennessee Tech where if it's not a Tennessee Tech defensive back, it's going the other way because he's not even looking over there. It is, here's the read, I'm going there on this screen. It's snapped and he is throwing it quickly. See, Hendon Hooker is going to have a pick, throw a pick six in this game on that route. I like, I like what you're recognizing. I like to think that Heupel is a good enough offensive coach that he saw what you saw and he's going to make sure that doesn't happen. Tomorrow, special timing for the show. Not on the for the quarterback live show. Too, to not not for the live show. We're live 2 to 5, 3 to 6 Eastern, but different guests at different times. So Austin Price and Brent Hubbs will join us at 3 o'clock Central, 4 in the East. Bobby Carpenter will join us in the final hour. We'll have the Tennessee Power Hour early, but we'll preview Titans and the Colts, all that and much more on the Friday edition. Thanks for joining us from 6th and Peabody with Old Smokey and Yeehaw. Back at it tomorrow for 360. Do not block the box. Do lock the locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.